Hey Jubilee, we're so excited that you've joined us online today to listen to this message in our series, Unseen. If you haven't already heard, you can get better connected to our church by creating an account on JFC Portal or JFC Mobile. If you're on your computer, just go to jfc.org forward slash portal. And if you're on your mobile device, just go to your app store and search Jubilee Fellowship Church. If you'd like to give, just go to jfc.org forward slash give. Thank you so much and have a great day. Welcome. How y'all doing today? Man, I'm proud of you. Could be home watching a game. So either you're not Bronco fans or you have a DVR. <laughs> or you really love Jesus. Good job. Hey, again, welcome. Uh, if you are here live, we thank you for again coming uh, online. Some of you will be catching this message that way. I'd also like to thank Pastor John for uh, the honor and the privilege of being here today to speak. Uh, he'll be back next week with uh, the third message in this series, Unseen. The idea behind this was to look at things of spiritual warfare that we normally don't really consider or think about. There's a lot of sensational stuff that can be made, but spiritual warfare is going on all the time. How many know that? Well, today I'm going to show you that forgiveness will be one of your greatest weapons to defeat Satan. It is at the core of our Christian faith. It is the life that God wants to live for us. But I need your help. How many will interact with me today? Okay. How many of you are awake? All right. On your notes there at the top, it says personal exercise. What I want you to do is to put the initials of someone, all right, that you've had trouble forgiving. Now, if you don't want to put somebody's name, put a little symbol or something. Now, if you're sitting next to that person and they put a symbol... You're it. And all the husbands and wives are thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a long day. And it will be. This is really important. I mean that. Take a moment to do that. It's important that you have that. So let me just jump in. How the battle begins, all right? It starts with an offense. There's an obvious offense. This is a wrong that has been done to us. This could be words, money, abuse, expectations, betrayal. You name it, we offend people all the time. All right, it was so interesting, this message, that today, at the end of a service uh, this morning, someone came to me and started to talk about a situation that happened a little while back. And I had jumped to conclusions on the issue, and I addressed something without all the information, and I hurt somebody. I didn't mean to. I wasn't going to do that, but I thought I was doing the right God thing, and I jumped into a situation, and I hurt somebody. And I created an offense in their life that they have to deal with now. But that happens to us all the time. There's an obvious offense that takes place. There's a thing, I'm going to just spend a minute here, called a perceived offense. Have you ever had somebody come to you really irritated with you that you did something, but you didn't realize you did something? You ever had that experience? All right. Like yesterday, I was on the way to the service here, and I was in a hurry, and there was this black Subaru in front of me. And he was deliberately going slow. He was trying to irritate me. I know he was. <laughs> He knew that I was trying to get somewhere, and he slowed down on purpose, okay? And so I was offended at this Subaru driver because he was hindering my progress, all right? Now, you're all thinking, oh, that's not true. Uh, it's probably not, but I thought it was. I thought, this guy's just doing this to irritate me, all right? How many know that driving is probably the best place to test your faith? <laughs> In Colorado, lately especially. There's a lot of drivers there, okay? So... True story. I'm coming to church this morning, 
and I get behind a gray Subaru. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He's going 30 miles in a 45. What's with you Subaru people? Do they have an engine in that car? Get it going. Come on. <laughs> Important to this, though, beyond just joking about Subarus, this perceived offense really affects a spiritual life. And here's the big one. Sometimes people believe that God is out for them, that God is going to get them. And there are people that have a situation in their life that they're hurting, and they perceive that God has done this to me. And they've created a barrier with God. And I can't forgive. God doesn't need our forgiveness. But we've demonstrated that attitude of, I just can't forgive God for what he's done in my life. Many of you know at the first of the year, Brenda, my wife, uh, Pastor John, had shared, we discovered that we were facing a stage four cancer. We went through treatment. And many of you were so wonderful in your prayers, your love, your support. I want to publicly thank you for that today. I want to thank Pastor John and all his support. So week after week, we would go in and get tests, and all of those continued to improve and show great improvement. Recently, we finished with the chemo. We had the first final or first uh, review of that, and the scan was perfectly clear, and the cancer count cell was the lowest it's ever been. We give God glory for that. Now, why I mention that is, honestly, I want to really recognize God's hand in that. But the truth is, a lot of people go through life, and they don't get that outcome. And how do you deal with that? We have a family here this morning that lost a wife and a mother this Friday to cancer. My heart breaks. Juanita Manuel passed on to be with the Lord, and their family's here today. And I want you to surround them with your prayers this week and your love as well. And we don't have the answers to that. We don't know, but it's not God who has directed that toward us. And in the beginning for Brenda and I, we had to settle that issue, no matter what the outcome. It's easy to say now, praise the Lord for that. But when it's in the middle of your life, when you're struggling with that, that's when you have to say, God, God, can I trust you with the outcome here? And we don't understand those answers. We don't understand what happens. You know, I just feel right now we should pray with this family. Can we do that? Father, for the Manuel family, their heart is broken. They're filled with great sorrow at the loss of a very special person in their life. Today, this is important to God. Surround them with your love. Let your presence permeate every bit of their life. Let them realize and know that they can trust God, that you love them and that you're with them. Lord, we just surround them today in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we face these things, when we are offended, when we struggle with these things, usually we act with either anger or hurt. It's how we are wired. And our adversary, the devil, the Bible talks about, is one who seeks to devour. And there's so many examples of that in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, I won't read all the passage, but I'll give you a little hint at what the Apostle Paul understood. Very, very great passages on spiritual warfare. He says, we forgive so that Satan will not win. How many read that before? I've read a lot of this, but it didn't really register to me in the act of spiritual warfare. If you're stuck in your spiritual life, if you're just not going anywhere, if you feel like God is distant, can I encourage you today to start with this idea? Is there unforgiveness in my heart? Because when you forgive, Satan doesn't win. And it finishes with, we know how he works. 
Satan is such a deceiver. He's such a liar. All right? What are his best weapons? The things that Satan most often will use in our life is temptation. We've all experienced temptation. And accusation. On the way to work, I had plenty of time. I was following a slow gray Subaru to think about this message. And I thought about in the beginning in the garden, the whole idea of what took place there. And on one hand, there was temptation. All right? On the other hand, there was accusation that took place in their life. Temptation finds its way to our self-love. The idea of we value. We're the most important. It's pride. And to be like a God, we deserve that. It's defined as what we're owed. And you find that in the Bible when Satan tempts Adam and Eve. Hey, God, want you, you deserve this. And a lot of times when Satan comes into our life in an offense, we're feeling, you know, we, we deserve better than this. In accusation, it finds its target in self-hatred, the idea of our worth and value. So much of what we deal with in our church today are people who just feel like they have no identity in Christ and they feel worthless. And his idea there is what we lack. So Satan, if he can come to you with what you're owed or what, what, and a lot of times he does it at the same time. It's amazing. On one hand, the temptation will come. On the other hand, you're a loser. See, you're a sinner. How can God love you? And then he tempts you with sin. It's kind of like a crazy cycle. Temptation blinds us to God's holiness. Accusation blinds us to God's love. I put it in there like a push and pull. That's how Satan works. Anybody here ever seen sumo wrestling? You're trying to get it out of your mind like I am? Humongous guys in diapers pushing each other around. It's just not a great thought. But it's a great illustration. And here's what happens. Here's what sumo wrestlers do. They try to push each other out of that circle. And that's how you win. Pretty simple. All right? And their strategies are around two things. Brute force, pushing, which is temptation, or pulling, which is the momentum of accusation. And so Satan's looking at ways to do that when you're offended with a situation. He's searching to destroy you. Ephesians tells us that anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, in this passage, if you go back and read it, and the notes are in your, uh, the passages in your notes, you will find that Paul is dealing with an offense in the idea of forgiveness. And he's talking about don't give him a foothold. Foothold, because we bring sorrow to God by the way we live. We are his own. We are different. We are set apart. We are people who understand that we have been forgiven and that we are right in God. It says, get rid of, in verse 31, of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. There's a choice that you have there. And he finishes it with forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. If you're here today, and you had a time in your life where you have been forgiven of your sin, and God has made your heart new and brought you into his family, there is a moment in your life that you know God has done an amazing thing for me. Now, what happens when we're tempted or we're accused, we have specific reactions. And what the Apostle Paul addresses here is get rid of those. You choose to get rid of those. This will change marriages. This will change families. This will change businesses. This will change churches if you make that choice. What are some of the things that we need to get rid of? I found four responses that take place when we're offended, when we're tempted and accused. The first is blow up. This is that external anger. Some of you have been in a relationship where somebody just blows up. It's a very fearful place to be. They lash out. There's an immediate action. There's a directed anger at a person. 
We were at a soccer game for my grandson, Caleb, yesterday morning. It was uh, two Lutheran schools, and it was a great game. Back and forth, kids were playing their hearts out, and toward the end of the game, it was one-to-one. And on the last minute and a half, uh, toward the end of their goal, one of the kids was stripped, all right, and the referee called a penalty, a free kick. So one of their team members kicked it in, and they won the game the last minute and a half. No big deal. We're excited. We're happy for the kids. One of the parents from the opposing team was really upset with the call, and he went out to talk to a referee, and one of the parents from the other team was there. Don't know what was said, but the Lutheran school parent headbutted the other parent. I mean, is that things Lutherans do? What? I was, look, at, I was raised early on as a Lutheran, you know? I don't know, I think that was Martin Luther had in mind putting the trees on the door, but if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway. Now look at his, he was offended at that call. His response was an immediate physical anger that erupted in a physical act. So some people just blow up. Some people get bitter. This is a dangerous one. Some of you are a little bit, I'm, I'm not a person that's going to blow up and physically confront. I'm just not that way. All right. But this bitter one, I could be this way. This is that one where inside it's an internal anger. You're offended, you're hurt, and you begin to just stew about it. You begin to think about what that person did to you. You begin to say, you know what, I'm going to get even. You know the old thing, I'm not, I'm not going to get, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get mad, I'm going to get even, all that kind of stuff. That's what stews in bitterness. And the idea is that you're going to plan to hurt them in some way. All right, you're going to do something to them that's going to make them pay for the hurt that they've had. Another way is bury. We bury it. We stuff it in. And I think the accused people, the people that feel that they lack, tend to do this more than others. They just put it inside. And you know what happens? They live fearful lives. They live afraid that every corner somebody's going to take advantage, somebody's going to hurt them. They're defensive and they're withholding. Sometimes I see in marriages that a spouse, all right, you've hurt me, you've done this, I'm going to withhold my love from you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to do things for you. And what happens? You create this offense where there's unforgiveness. And it creates a lot of problems. The last one is broken. This is people that have decided to be a victim. All right? Again, it comes into that accusation of what we lack. All right? They begin to think that they, were, that they didn't deserve, that they deserved to be treated that way. They begin to see themselves as a victim. They begin to be living life in a fragile, hard-hearted place. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you deal with offenses. But these are many of the ways that we can look at. Satan looks for ways in these things to separate you from God and from one another. And when he does that, in spiritual warfare, he wins. But when you forgive, you blow that out of the water. In spiritual warfare, unforgiveness is equivalent of being alone to face the enemy. In essence, you're saying to God, God, this is my vengeance. I'll take care of it. This person hurt me. I'm going to do the damage. Stay out of it. And you're saying, God, leave me alone in essence. My father and I watched a movie, went to a movie a little while back about this tank, a U.S. World War II tank. And, and all the circumstances led to this tank being isolated and alone against the enemy. You know what happened? There was death and carnage, all right? There was horrible warfare to a single individual that is alone. And when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you are alone and fighting the battle without God's help. Scripture, as we define there, says that you give Satan a foothold. I looked into that from a biblical time perspective. The definition there relates to a place or a step 
or an opportunity. So the idea is a foothold is an occasion. It's a one-time event. It's a brick that you take a step in. A stronghold is a fortress of several bricks. I mention that because you can defeat the enemy at a point of attack rather than routing from a fortress. And every time there's an occasion and you do not forgive, you create a fortress that is hard to bring down. And Satan is the one who wins in that. All right. Uh, Pastor John last week mentioned the idea of a well-worn path. What would happen if every day you walked the same path? What happens with a path is well-worn? Hello? Okay. It's, it's pretty well established. You create a rut. All right. It's comfortable. You know it. We're not going to go off the trail. It's what we know. It's a very good observation. The idea is that you create that well-worn path by every offense, not dealing with the forgiveness that's necessary, and eventually you will build this fortress. Again, I see that in marriages or families a lot with uh, family members. But you know what? Let me just tell you, the reverse is true. What if at the offense you dealt with it, you forgave it right then? What if you said, Lord, I want to live a life that is like you, always generous in grace and love and forgiveness. You will create a fortress of forgiveness. I'm sure you've met someone like that. Things just seem to just bounce right off them. Bad stuff happens, and they just have the most sweetest, wonderful attitude. Those are people that have built a fortress of forgiveness, and it's very different. Now, Satan's at work, and how do we deal with them? Scripture teaches that our best counterattack is this idea of forgiving others who have sinned against us. In Matthew, Jesus says this. How many knows what Jesus says is pretty good stuff? Okay. What Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Pretty good deal, right? Pretty good deal. Paul writes, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, I was raised in the church. I've heard these year after years, but can I tell you the truth? It's been a struggle at times when people have hurt me to really forgive them. It's been a hard thing, and I know this truth. And I know for us today, this is a hard thing to wrestle with. I had a lot of interesting responses uh, after the services with people that are struggling with this. And I understand that. I want to give you something that you're not going to like to hear, okay? And I think there could be debate in this, but I think I stand on pretty good ground when I address this. The idea of forgive and forget. Let me start with what God says he does. He's taken your sins. He's cast them as far as the east from the west, all right? Now, what does that mean, okay? You are forgiven. And I think in our walk, and I found this to be true with people that are struggling with forgiveness, all right, I've had this discussion with people. Well, I'm not going to forget what they did to me. They've not really forgiven if that's the statement they're making. And let me explain why. When you forgive, you forgive the person. When you forget, you let go of that offense. And as long as you hold on to that offense and won't forget it, you have not truly forgiven. It's not a full release of what that offense was in the area of forgiveness. All right, so let me ask you to do something. At the beginning, I ask you to write down a name or a symbol of somebody. I want you to put the offense beside that. Maybe it was someone that betrayed you. Maybe it was a spouse that did something. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe a business partner. I don't know what it is. But what was that specific offense? Now you have something that's not general, but something that God can deal with because you're dealing with a person and a specific offense. You cannot say, I forgive, and not forget the offense. 
You see, this idea of general forgiveness. All right, I don't know if you've ever done this in your Christian walk. Have you ever just kind of like, okay, God, forgive me in all my sins. It's kind of like check the box. Okay, I've done the forgiveness thing. I'm good with God today. Seriously, how authentic is that? But if you've ever been in a place where you've done something, you've hurt someone, you've said something, all right, you've offended someone, all right, and you feel sorrow for that and you feel sadness, and what do you do? When you go to God, you say, God, I have done this thing to you, to that person. Will you forgive me of this occasion? There's real, honest forgiveness that takes place. We kind of want relationships, just this blanket, ah, oh, forgive you. And it's not being authentic, it's not being true. It's people that are not really being real with the offense. We want to follow this scripture, but we want to follow it on our own terms. We want to say we have forgiven them, but in our heart we haven't forgiven them. And today, I pray and I believe that as you begin to think this through, you're going to really find that God's going to open up your heart and your mind to see some situations. All right? And I think the problem is basically this. We just don't understand how big it is for God to forgive us of our sins. All right? If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably don't remember how offending you were before God. But in God's eyes, our sin is still offending. All right? We just finished a great series on Orthodox, and we were looking at the idea how does the church love and yet maintain its holiness in the middle of a world we live today. It was a real struggle. It's really hard. Here's what I want you to know. God is perfectly holy and just. Perfectly holy and just. We can never be that. God is perfectly loving and filled with grace. We can never be that. So as a believer, we try to wrestle with what that looks like. All right? And it's a very difficult balance. The more we're like Jesus, the more holy we can live, and yet the more loving we can be. Less judging, less uh, uh, angry at people in our life that live that kind of life. The Bible talks about this, uh, Jesus is in, in this passage, I put it in your notes. Uh, we won't go through all of it, but I'll give you the story there. Much forgiveness, much love. Now, I specifically put this passage in for us church people because I found it easy in my life to really forget all that God has done for me. And it's easy to just come to church and go through the motions and not realize how much my sin offends God. And there was the story of a Pharisee who had Jesus over for dinner and a very kind of wild woman comes in, all right, and she begins to express great love to Jesus and this Pharisee is offended. And he says, he must not know who she is. He must not be God because he would know that she's a pretty worldly woman. And Jesus knew who she was and he knew who the Pharisee was. And Jesus addresses the Pharisee and he said, let me tell you a story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. <clears throat> but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, obviously the Pharisee said, well, the guy who was forgiven the greater debt. Now, I, I think that makes sense, doesn't it? That if you have a large debt, I mean, hey, all of us have owed somebody five bucks, right? But if somebody comes and says $5,000, I'm going to write that off. You're free of that debt. How many go whoop, whoop, whoop? You know what I mean? Y'all with me today? Y'all watching the Bronco game on your iPhones? What's going on? All right, here's the deal. I guarantee if somebody said, hey, you don't owe me five bucks, I'm okay with that. Hey, that's nice. Somebody telling me, you don't owe me 5,000 bucks? That's really nice. 
And so he expressed to this Pharisee, and I think <clears throat> what he's trying to communicate to the Pharisee that you just don't know. She sees her sinfulness. She sees she's had much to forgive, and you just don't see it. Jesus finishes in verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and they're many, they have been forgiven. So she shows me much love. But a person who is forgiven shows, forgiven little shows only a little love. That's a great statement to religious people. There's a lot there. I don't want to go into it, but the fact is, is that can we never forget how much God has loved us and forgiven us? Can I tell you, every day I sin against God. Every day I sin against people. Every day I offend all the time. Not that I want to, but I do that in my flesh nature. And every day God comes in and specifically I can ask for his forgiveness and that takes place. Love is the proof or the sign of forgiveness. The question is, how much has God forgiven you? And we finish with this last parable. Great debt, great grace. Okay, it's really an amazing parable. Peter comes to Jesus asking him, how many, how many times should I forgive? And there, there was a tradition in, uh, there that, you know, a certain amount of times and you're good to go. And Jesus blew that out of the water. And he said, let me give you a parable. And he talked about a great king, a great man, who one of his servants came to him, owed him, the Bible says, 10,000 denarii. Um, I've read different kinds of interpretations of actually how much money that was. Uh, some writers say it was the sum of a million dollars to us today. All right. And so he paid, settled that and said, I'm going to forgive you my debt. And so that servant on the way out found a guy that owed him a little amount of money. And he choked him. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And the fellow servant fell down and he begged him. And he said, be patient. I will pay you back. But the other servant wasn't willing. And he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Let me just tell you something here. Jesus is very wise in his parables. This parable, with digging a little, will tell you a lot. In that this man who owed the million dollar debt could have never in a lifetime paid that. He could never. All right. The other man could have paid that debt. It was a small enough amount. And the man with the greatest debt was forgiven of that debt and didn't take that same mercy and love and forgiveness to the debt of another. And Jesus, in explaining this parable, comes down to this. Verse 34 and 35. He said, The master of this servant got angry, and he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Now, I mentioned he could never pay that. In essence, he was stuck in a prison. He was stuck being tortured, all right? And that happens to people that do not forgive. They're in prison for the rest of their life. They are stuck because they won't forgive that debt. My heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you do not forgive his brother from his heart. The people that I meet in this world that are most angry, frustrated, are people that are unforgiving and they live their life that way. We were in North Carolina a few weeks ago visiting our daughter and son-in-law and our grandkids. I was out doing something, and they came in, and they'd put on a movie. It's a movie called Cinderella. How many saw Cinderella this year? Okay, I'm not really a Disney movie kind of guy. I'd rather see something blow up or something like that. But 
and nothing blows up in Disney movies. So anyway, come in and it's about 30 minutes left, maybe 40. And I see this scene of this wicked stepmother. All right. And she's treating Cinderella horribly, horribly. And I'm watching this and think, man, this is good acting. I mean, I was really angry. I think the actress is Kate Blanchett. And I didn't like her. I was kind of mad. And Disney did a good job in their script writing and acting. And anyway, this poor Cinderella was just getting hammered. So the prince sets out to find the princess that he had met. And he goes to all these places. And the stepmother's maneuvering everything that the prince doesn't find her because he wants Cinderella to stay under her anger and unforgiveness and frustration. Well, through this great series of events, the last place that they go is this house, this castle. And they ask uh, this wicked stepmother, hey, any other daughters here? The two, her daughters weren't the eligible ones. And she lied, no. And Cinderella was upstairs in this far attic and she was singing. And they heard her singing. Loving people, unforgiving or forgiving people sing. There's joy. And they heard that and the story comes and they get her down and she rescues, uh, the prince rescues Cinderella. And so walking out, the best scene of the movie at the end, after everything that was done, after what Cinderella's mother before she died on her bed said is to be right, treat people right. Her father before he left on a trip and then passed away on that trip, he said to be right. She remembered that lesson. She turns around It's just really great acting. Says, I forgive you. She releases her from that bondage. Now here, she's going to be the prince's wife. She's going to be capable of a lot of things that could have paid her back for all the misery and evil that was done. And she released her of that debt. Amazing movie. Amazing truth. See, in our life, Satan is that wicked stepmother that is bringing pain and sorrow, lies, torture to our life. There may be a person that represents that, but there's a prince looking for a heart that is singing and wanting to live a life that is free of anger and hurt. And when you let go of that, you let God, the prince come and free you. And you can live your life in a prison trying to make it right, trying to get even, but you're going to lose. And I challenge you today, be willing. Be willing to let God change your heart. This is one of those messages I just felt like today, it just starts a ball rolling. Matter of fact, between the last three messages, I mean, God has just been speaking to me about so many things. I hope he does that for you. So I want you to bow your heads. We're going to close this service. If you're here and there's a name on your list, on your paper, and it's been a struggle, and they may have done a horrible thing to you. And I am not justifying what was done in any way, but they may have done a horrible thing to you. And it has been a battle in your life, and you want to be right, but it's hard to be right. But today, I want you to say, I'm going to raise my hand because I need God's help in this situation. Would you do that today? All right. Lord, you see every one of these hands. You see so many people that want to get beyond this, get free of this. Lord, I pray that freedom comes, that a song will come back to the hearts of those who want to live in freedom. Lord, there's so many more things that we could do, but laying out this idea, 
of God forgiving us and we being that kind of person as we forgive others. We pray that in your name. Amen. Please stand.